Welcome to The Lisa Show, where we take a good look at life. When we announced that we would be making a series about body image, but before we'd released any of the episodes, people started writing to us concerned about how we would address obesity and health. They said things like, well, body positivity is cool, but make sure you don't make it seem like being unhealthy is okay. Or something like, I hope you're not going to glorify obesity. And these messages struck us because, first of all, What is so striking about this that someone would reach out before our series had even started? And second of all, what is it about discussing body image and obesity that people are so worried about? Obesity is a polarizing issue in the United States. People often say that we're in the middle of an obesity epidemic and that we need to take drastic measures to help Americans lose weight and get off the couch. At the same time, there's also a push to avoid body shame and to help people of all sizes feel loved and love themselves. We're seeing more body diversity in advertising and on TV, but many people seem to believe that these two things can't coexist. Is it true? Are body positivity and making healthy choices mutually exclusive? I don't think so. And that's what we're exploring in this episode of The Lisa Show. Later on, we'll hear from a doctor of obesity medicine about the scientific understanding of what obesity is and how we can manage it. But first, I talked with fat activist and body image coach Amanda Martinez-Beck about her experiences. I live in a fat body, and I use the word fat as a neutral descriptor, like my hair is brown, my body is fat. And I still feel the push and pull of the siren call for thinness in a lot of ways. Uh, If I'm honest, my life would be easier if I were thinner, because our world is not built for bodies like mine. In our research for this series, we found this experience is not uncommon. People in larger bodies often run into roadblocks that are set up by a world that seems designed for smaller, thinner people. Amanda told me how this impacted her when she was growing up. My parents were very concerned about my health because they're in the medical profession. But whenever we talked about health, it always actually meant weight. And so... Growing up in a larger body was really hard because I never felt like I was good enough in my own skin. And there is so much pressure from the culture to be thin. It's really hard also growing up with familial pressure to be thin. It is not abnormal to hear of children being put on diets And I was put on my first diet when I was seven years old. I was not being fed enough at home. And so at school, I would eat my friend's food when they didn't want it anymore. And looking back, I can see how restricted I was. But I didn't realize it at the time until I had a dream where I was begging my parents for food and they wouldn't give me any food. And I was weeping in my dreams. So my body was saying, please give me more food when that wasn't okay. So I just remember being denied food a lot. I struggled with 
struggled a lot in approaching adolescence because I was told that if I could keep from gaining weight when I became an adolescent, that it would change my body for the rest of my life. So there was a lot of pressure to not change my body, <laughs> even though it's natural when you're going through puberty to for your body to get bigger. Um, it's part of the protective nature of our bodies, right? They're getting ready for adulthood and we need fat on our bodies in order to survive. That's when I started having an eating disorder because I really wanted to please my parents and to please the culture around me. And so I stopped eating like all sorts of one category of food, which is disordered eating. And I focused on just eating what were termed as healthy foods. And I got a lot of praise for the way that my body changed, even from teachers at school. And it just made me double down into that eating disorder behavior. So when I started college, that was already firmly embedded into who I was. I have to eat in a certain way to be pleasing to other people. And that's just not a way to live in fullness. It's heartbreaking to hear about how Amanda struggled as a child. But it's not that rare of an experience. From 2017 to 2020, almost 20% of kids in the U.S. struggled with obesity, and the number is even higher for adults. So what's going on here? Why is it a non-issue for some kids while someone like Amanda had to experience such struggle at such a young age? I asked Dr. Katherine Saunders for her thoughts. So my background is uh, in obesity medicine. I was one of the first uh, fellows in the entire country and the, the first at Wild Cornell where I did my medical training. Um, and I, now I've been practicing for, for a long time and actually started a company to scale and democratize access to the type of effective and compassionate medical obesity treatment that, that we deliver. Um, so this is a very complex topic um, because obesity is actually now understood to be a very complex disease. Um, years ago, it was thought that, you know, obesity was just a lifestyle problem. Um, and the answer was just, you know, eat less, exercise more. We now understand that there is a complex um, pathophysiology. So distinct sort of biological changes that happen in our brain and in our bodies with excess weight that makes it very, very, very hard for people to lose weight um, and leads to many of the metabolic complications that we think of as uh, associated with obesity. I want to pause on what Dr. Saunders is explaining here. The idea that having obesity is just a matter of having eaten too much and exercised too little is too simple and doesn't represent what people with obesity are really dealing with. Dr. Saunders explained further. Obesity is a chronic disease just like other diseases. The old definition for obesity was just, you know, a passive accumulation of fat. And we now understand that adipose tissue or fat tissue um, is absolutely not passive and is really metabolically active. So, you know, a better definition of obesity now is um, a disorder of the energy homeostasis system or a disease that is chronic, complex, relapsing, neurobehavioral um, that really affects 
so many different organ systems, or basically all of our organ systems, in a way that has metabolic, cardiometabolic, you know, psychological and physical consequences, you know, at a certain point. In terms of the medical society, um, you know, it's important for providers to be educated about the fact that obesity is a disease that for most people requires medical intervention to be treated appropriately. So not that every provider needs to be doing that themselves, but to just be aware of the fact that this isn't just a lifestyle problem, this is actually a disease. It's clear to me from what Dr. Saunders is saying that we're thinking about obesity and weight the wrong way. Often, obesity is treated like a moral choice, as if those in larger bodies just need the right amount of convincing before they choose to stop being obese. We treat those in larger bodies as if they're lesser than, as if the superficial size of our bodies is the only determinant of how healthy and intelligent someone is. This moralization of body size is a stigma that we can and need to cut through if we want to make any progress towards actually living healthy lives, both physically and emotionally. I asked Amanda when this perspective shift clicked for her. Well, in high school, I had always been told that if I didn't look a certain way, I wasn't going to get a boyfriend. And so that was really important to me. And so that was part of my motivation to be smaller. And then I was smaller and then nothing changed. It wasn't, my friends didn't love me better. I wasn't being flocked by eager suitors. (laughs) It was kind of this realization of, oh, maybe it doesn't actually matter to the people who care about me, what my size is. So that was the beginning of the realization. It still still took several years for that to flower into full-fledged acceptance of my body. I would say it still took about seven or eight years after high school to really accept where my body was. Clothing is harder to find when you're in a larger body. And so there are times when I just long for the ease of dressing myself that a thinner body has. But when I realize that I'm thinking that way, I have to tell myself it's not wrong to want clothes that fit. And there's such a huge market for people in larger bodies. And what's keeping companies from making clothes isn't capitalism, it's fear of fatness. And so recognizing that it's the culture that needs to shift rather than my body that needs to shift. I think that while what Amanda is describing is a major shift, it starts in the little things we think about and say about ourselves and about others. We can stop thinking about our bodies in terms of size and the number on the scale and think of them as tools for enjoying the things that matter the most to us. Now, the conversation around obesity becomes more complicated when it comes to getting professional help. I've often heard from those with obesity that when they seek help for a medical struggle, doctors can make them feel unheard, invalidated, and lesser than. It reminds me of a time when I had just given birth to my first child. And obviously I had just gone through a major change in my body. And I had read a lot about what was typical, what wasn't typical, what to expect. But you know, when it happens to you, it's an entirely different 
thing. And all along in my pregnancy, I had gained a lot of weight. I was concerned about it, but I was doing everything that I could to be healthy. I was trying to get enough rest. I was working full time. So I was on my feet a lot teaching and I was really, really bloated. I retained a lot of water. Um, I'm not even sure why. I ate fruits and vegetables and protein. I wasn't super restrictive with my diet, but I didn't just let everything go either. And so overall, I thought I was being very, very healthy. And when I asked my doctor about my weight, his concern was an interesting mix of sort of brushing me off, but also really concerned with the number and what I would experience after birth. So when I would take my glucose test, as as you do when you're pregnant, it was always a really high number, but not high enough that I had gestational diabetes, but enough that it caused concern. And my doctor would just say, don't gain any more weight. And I'd say, uh, by how? <laughs> Like, how do you, like, I'm not going to diet while I'm pregnant, you know, and I'm not going to be restrictive. I, I am also doing as well as I can do, so be a little bit more specific. And I didn't get any more specifics. It was just like, ooh, this number is a little bit high. Don't eat any sugar. And so I would eat less sugar, let's be honest. And I lost most of the weight after because I felt like I was, I had retained so much water. But I remember my doctor at our post-birth um, appointment two weeks later saying, hurry up and lose all the weight that you can because after about a year, it's going to be even harder to lose it. With no specific indication of how to do that other than just this general sort of instruction. And there was also no consideration for the changes in my body, what would change? And it was always with the umbrella, well, so that you can get back to where you were. And I look back on that now, several years later, a couple of decades later, and think not only was that not helpful, but it just further put into my mind from a medical professional, you need to get back to what your body was. Instead of saying, your body has now changed, that's okay, and here are ways to be healthy. It was not a complete conversation. It was just a throwaway comment that, oh, I've seen this a hundred times, don't get fat. <laughs> and that's how I felt. I felt completely dismissed by it. And the real information, the real help that I found about how to be healthy and how to continue to have pregnancies and deal with my body as I was pregnant or after I was pregnant or while I was nursing was the best advice that I got was from other women who'd been through it who said, yeah, your body's going to change. My body changed this way. And then when I was in this phase, it was like this. And we were able to really come together in the strength of those changes. And I finally was able to think, oh, well, yeah, this is typical then. I'm not the only one that has experienced that. And to worry less and less about it. That experience has always stuck with me. So I asked Dr. Saunders why it can be so hard for physicians to work with patients about their weight. One of the barriers to effective treatment is that we don't have enough education uh, in our medical training. So many providers are not uh, really educated in what obesity is, how to talk about it with their patients, how to treat it. So 
so many of our patients, by the time they come to see us, they have been advised by many different providers to just, you know, eat less and exercise more. And it's really demoralizing and it's really discouraging when um, they've tried a million different diets, but, you know, because of our body's um, tendency or because of our body's really, you know, anti-starvation responses, every time you go on a diet, they're metabolic adaptations to prevent our bodies from starving that, that really kick in to, to push weight back up. So patients have had this experience over and over that they've tried many different ways of losing weight um, and, and they haven't been affected. It makes sense that from what Dr. Saunders has said, breakthroughs in the science of treating obesity are relatively new. So most doctors won't be fully trained on how to manage obesity as a chronic illness rather than a lifestyle choice. This can make it so hard to ask for help. I recently talked to eating disorder specialist Amy Harmon, and she told me about a time when she felt like a doctor was approaching weight the wrong way. So my my son is going through puberty. He's gained a lot of weight. And the doctor was really concerned about that and was grilling him on what he was eating and what his eating habits were like. And I was just really uncomfortable with it. And I tried to just say, he does eat, like he eats vegetables. It's not like he doesn't eat it. And she's like, well, what are you drinking then? You know, and he literally just drinks water. He does not drink a lot. He doesn't like juice, you know, Um And so she was just like trying to find the thing that he needed to eliminate, you know, from his diet. And I had to call the practice after because I don't feel like I was a great advocate even in the session because I was so taken aback. And so I called later, you know, and, and talked to them about, you know, my concerns, especially being an eating disorder professional, because I have had clients come to my office and saying, well, the doctor said that. I was gaining too much weight. And I'm like, yeah, girls gain, you know, 40 to 60 pounds in like five years, mm-hmm. you know, when in, in their teen years or early teen years. Um, so I am very sensitive to the messages that our healthcare providers are sending. And it's not because they have bad intentions. Everything I think is, is well intended. Um, I'll have clients come to me too who will say, well, my doctor said I need to lose weight because now I'm at higher risk for blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, first of all, your doctor is concerned about your physical health. That is one piece of you. There are so many other pieces of you besides your physical health. And let's say you get type 2 diabetes. Can you still live your life with type 2 diabetes? I mean, I know lots of people who live to old age, past old age with type 2 diabetes, right? So I'm not saying, like, go ahead, be as unhealthy as possible. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But I am saying, let's balance your goals. While some doctors will do the best they can to take care of our physical bodies, they aren't always qualified to address our entire health, our mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical health. And there's so much of our health that is out of our control. We can't decide what genes we're born with or how fast our metabolism works or if we're predisposed to anxiety or depression or cancer or a thousand other things that can happen to us. So if we convince ourselves that every part of our health is our fault, we have no choice but to feel guilt and shame when we inevitably aren't perfect at some point in our lives. 
We can remove shame from our lives even when we're imperfect, especially when we're imperfect. I also asked Amanda about how she finds that balance that Amy just talked about. Here's what she had to say. Health is a temporary condition. All of our bodies are going to have health issues. And so it can be good to pursue health-affirming activities, but we're not ever in total control of what our health looks like. Instead of looking at weight as the primary indicator of health, which isn't a very accurate one because you can't tell somebody's health by their size, it encourages you to look at numbers like cholesterol, blood pressure, blood sugar, um, things that have a measurable effect on health in a way that weight does not. And so it's not that everyone is all healthy, but for example, if I had high blood pressure, instead of the doctor saying you need to lose 10 pounds, I work with my doctor to say, how can we decrease these blood pressure numbers? And because weight is not a behavior, but addressing my blood pressure is something that I can change with behavior. So the same with any other indicator of health, if you can focus on those specific numbers instead of the number on the scale, you actually have a higher chance of living a healthy life because those numbers tell a more complete story of what health is. Amanda's explanation helps me understand my own health, but also I can see that we can improve the way we see each other too. If obesity and our body size in general is such a complicated combination of external and internal factors, there's no way we could ever judge someone else's situation just by looking at them. And if we're not their doctor or their elected official in charge of public health policy, why does it matter to us what their situation is anyway? I think we can afford to give each other a lot more grace and love and care a little less about what size of a body we're living in. Dr. Saunders told me how, as a healthcare professional, she thinks we can do better. Most or, or really all of our patients in some way or another have encountered weight bias, weight stigma, um, and discrimination. And so, you know, I think the best way to fight that, um, again, is, is really education and advocacy so that, that everybody in the general population just has a better understanding that this isn't just a lack of willpower. This isn't just, a, you know, what you're eating, how much you're exercising situation here. This is really, you know, a complex disease that needs to be treated like a disease. Because, you know, obesity is different for each person, it's not just, you know, one disease, it's more likely, more a constellation of different factors that come together. Um, it really needs to be treated in a comprehensive way. So the first step when we, you know, see a new patient is to do a very comprehensive evaluation to identify every factor that has led to weight gain and identify every barrier that's prevented weight loss and then put together all of these factors into, you know, a comprehensive treatment plan. 
So I start off with a lot of education once, you know, I've done an evaluation and explained to my patients, you know, there are so many factors here that have, have led to excess weight. Um, for many people, there's a genetic susceptibility. In medicine, everything is a combination of genes and environment. And when you have a genetic susceptibility, then lifestyle factors may, you know, be more powerful. And, you know, for many of our patients, we identify, for example, you know, untreated sleep or undiagnosed sleep apnea, um, which is a vicious cycle of weight gain. We diagnose a lot of, you know, prediabetes or diabetes. We identify, you know, sometimes one, two, three, four, five medications that have led to weight gain, um, and then a variety of lifestyle factors. So for effective treatment, we can't just have a one-size-fits-all approach and, you know, give everybody one medication and call it a day. We need to really identify all these factors and, you know, come up with a multidisciplinary um, treatment plan that meets the patient where they are and, um, and really is very comprehensive and very personalized. I really appreciate Dr. Saunders' expertise on this subject. When it comes to obesity, health, and just body image in general, all of us are in such specific and individual situations that almost any comparison to someone else seems unfair. The perfect balance of medication, lifestyle changes, therapy, doctor visits, and whatever else it takes to be fully and holistically happy is going to be different for everyone. Amanda told me how she has realigned her perspective on bodies to find her specific joy and peace. The biggest motivator for me is learning that my body, no matter its size, is good. I believe that the purpose of my body isn't thinness or perfection or even health, that the purpose of my body is relationship with others and with the divine. And any body, no matter its health or wellness, can have relationship with others. So redefining that view of my body enabled me to see that I can have meaningful relationships and do meaningful things in my life in my fat body as it is. And other people can do that as well. I, as a person of faith, believe that there is no body that's too far from God's love, whether physically or spiritually. And so really seeing that that's, that relationship factor defines the goodness of my body, I wanted to be able to share that with other people because so often we think that the purpose of our body is thinness. And there's nothing that a thin person can do that I can't also do in life-changing terms. Like, a thin person can comfort their weeping friend as well as I can comfort my weeping friend. Yeah, there are limitations to bodies, but that's just a part of being human. And there are people who can do physical labor in ways that I am not able to do that. And I am happy for them and proud of them to serve their neighbors that way. But that's not the only way to be of service to the people around me. I think something that Amanda didn't say specifically, but that I understood in our conversation, is that there is no need for shame anywhere in this process. We can love and support each other and ourselves without ever having to introduce the cycle of shame that so often drives us to be smaller and smaller. Amanda told me that even as a body image coach, she has her bad days 
where having a healthy body image isn't so easy. I asked her what she does when she realizes she's having a hard time. I, first of all, let myself feel what I'm feeling because just shutting down emotions is not helpful. So I identify what maybe has caused that bad body image. Maybe I was looking at old pictures and missing that body that I used to have. Maybe I am struggling with fitting into clothes. Maybe I'm just feeling bloated one day. So I try to identify what I'm feeling. And then I try to identify what promise I think being thinner will give me. Am I believing that being thinner will make my life more worthy? Am I believing that being thinner will give me more energy? Do I believe that being thinner will solve my acne, you know, these, these things that thinness has promised to us. And then I can work through those issues of, I can, I can increase my energy levels by exercising. I can find clothes that fit me if I were, if I search a little harder, I can address these, these things as they pop up and really get down to the root of the issue rather than just letting it be papered over by, oh, I just wish I was smaller. I've really learned a lot putting this episode together about obesity and the way that we connect a number on the scale, our weight, our size, to our health. And I think that in our quest to be healthy and to take care of our bodies, that we often have an unhealthy view of other people. And it makes it so much easier to judge other people and judge ourselves based on an indicator, the size of their body, that doesn't necessarily have a lot to do with their health. Obesity is a much more complicated disease than I think we previously thought. I have learned that. And I have also learned that I've had certain biases about it in my own life and also for others that have not been healthy or helpful. And I think by honestly taking a look at our health, we can have better conversations with our healthcare provider, with our families, with our kids, with our friends and encouraging each other to have that kind of fullness, that wholeness of life, of all things considered and not just saying, oh, just eat less, exercise more. It's not that simple. And really being able to have more intelligent, well-informed conversations are going to help us be better neighbors, be better supports to each other and to be kinder to ourselves. To conclude this episode, I want you to hear what advice Amanda gives to people who she helps as a body image coach. A lot of my clients have been told that they can't live their ideal life if they're in a bigger body. So we work on living in the here and now rather than delaying our dreams for when we have a different body type. People in fat bodies find love. People in larger bodies dress cutely. (laughs) People in large bodies can have their dream jobs. They can take risks and have adventures. And so addressing the fears of rejection and unworthiness is a big part of what I do in body peace coaching. Know that 95% of weight loss efforts fail. And so if it's impossible merely to lose weight, how can we address living our fullest life in our today body rather than some fulfillment that may or may not happen in the future? 
The Lisa Show is a production of BYU Radio. The show is hosted by Lisa Valentine Clark and produced by McKay Menden, Becca Hurley, and Michael Combs. We would love to feature you on the show. Reach out to us on Instagram and Facebook and tell us about your experience listening to the Body Image series or sharing it with a friend, and we might share your story on an upcoming episode.